And I invite you this morning to John chapter 15 in your Bibles. John chapter 15, we're going to be dealing with the vine and the branches today in the Word of God. And you know, the Bible uses many different analogies to depict God's relationship to His people. Consider some of these, if you will. In the Bible, in Matthew 6 and John 1, He calls, He is our Father and we are His children. Isn't it a blessing to know that God calls us His child? Uh, even the Spirit in Romans 8 reminds us that we are the child of God. If you've been born again, the His Spirit itself who dwells in you reminds you that you're His child. He, we also recognize He is our King and we are the subjects of His kingdom. And I'm thankful that we have a righteous and a good King uh, who lords over our life. And we also recognize He is the Creator in Psalms chapter 24. And that makes us His creation. We are His creatures. And so we're subject unto Him as well. We also learn in Psalms 23, He is our shepherd. And a good shepherd. He provides for us and that means that we are His sheep. And so we're thankful for this relationship we have with the Lord. We also recognize He's the builder, and we are the building. He's the one that wants to invest in life and build a life. And I'm thankful that God is not looking to tear down. That's what Jesus warns us that Satan does in a life. And the thief cometh but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Christ has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly because He is the builder in Ephesians 2, verses 20 through 22. We also see He is our master. And we are His servants. I'm so thankful that I get to serve someone like the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that we have someone that we can come to uh, who cares for me with a genuine love. We also read in 1 Corinthians 11 that Christ is the husband and the church is the bride. And we also see in Ephesians 1 that He is the head and we are the body. But here in John 15, we see another relationship that God describes here and He depicts here as a relationship as divine and the branches. And we're going to see this here played out in the text in John chapter 15. And this, just as a branch is dependent entirely upon the vine for life, we recognize that God is saying, listen, sustenance, growth, and fruit all come from Him. We must be plugged into the vine today. And the Lord desires for us to know that. And so Christ presents this analogy to His disciples here in this upper room and reminds you that it was a time of, of great drama for them. Jesus was about to be crucified on the cross. Judas has already left the room to betray uh, His Savior. And so we see that all of this is going on and all of these uh, events have been set in motion. And, and eventually we would see Christ walk up that uh, uh, road to Golgotha where he would be crucified and lay his life down for us. And so here again, uh, Jesus Christ comes and he speaks to us and he reminds us of a very simple but important truth and a, a truth that maybe has been forgotten along the way because there's so many things to plug into. But if we could name this sermon a different sermon, it would just be abide in Christ. It is so important that we learn how to abide in Him. In John chapter 15 and verse 1, uh, let's read there together. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing." 
If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Let's stop together. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. Lord, we thank you for uh, just this encouragement to abide in Christ. And we see here this relationship that you have with us of the vine and the branches. And may our hearts long and yearn, Lord, today to abide in you. Lord, that we might see the fullness of the joy that you have laid up for us, that we might experience that here on this earth as we anticipate it in its, all of its fullness and glory in heaven. But God, may we even sense that here, a place that is full of turmoil and strife and problems. Lord, what a joy it is to know that we can abide in you and our joy might be full. And so help us today, draw us close to you, bless the reading of your word, bless, Lord, the message today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look here in this passage, very right at the beginning, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husband, and every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he says, uh, he taketh away, uh, and he begins to lay this foundation for us, and he desires for us to come to verse number four, and he says, abide in me. That call to abide there is very important. Matter of fact, that word abide is amino, and it describes something that remains where it is. It continues in a fixed state, or in other words, it endures. And so it refers here to this unbroken communion that Jesus Christ has and offers with the disciples. And so the Lord's command, abide in me, is a plea to false disciples first to come to Jesus Christ for salvation and those who are genuine disciples to continue to remain in Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in depth as we go and we see the branches. But really, really see if we see that God calls us then to know what it is to have the fullest, the deepest, the most complete sense of what it means to abiding in Him. What an encouragement then from Jesus Christ to be able to know uh, what this kind of life is like. Have you ever thought about the Bible? Uh, the Bible is full of paradoxes. For example, there are several paradoxes in Scripture, uh, at least what seems like a paradox. God teaches us that we receive by giving away. Have you ever thought about that one? Or he also teaches we live by first dying. Or another one is we win by losing. We go up by going down. He teaches these types of ideas throughout the Scripture. But in order to have the fullest life, we must truly learn to give it all to Jesus Christ. And so that's what he's dealing with here. And it's, and it's something that maybe we've lost along the way in, in Christendom. It's something that we've forgotten that the greatest thing that we could ever do is die to self so that we can live for Christ. The greatest life that we could ever live is a life that is completely plugged into and wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, an, it's easy to be convinced that, that this kind of life that is plugged into Christ is only maybe for the elite, right? Uh, well, that's only for those pastors and maybe missionaries that get to experience the kind of life that you're talking about, preacher. It's not for the, the commoner in the pew, but that's not at all what Jesus was dealing with. 
He was dealing with all of us here in this room. Every Christian, every single one of us that claim Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can know what it is to have a life that's plugged into Christ that is completely satisfied. There's an old song in our hymn book that simply says, Satisfied. All my life, I looked for something, for, for a drink from some cool water, but I realized that it wasn't in anything in the world, but it was only in Jesus Christ. He alone satisfied. A.W. Tozer said, The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for His people. You know what God's plan is for you? John 15, you're my branch, plug into me. His desire is that you might abide in Him. And so that's what we're going to look at. So Jesus, as this master storyteller here, gives us a story with three distinct characters here. We have the vine, who is Jesus Christ. We have the vine dresser, or husbandman, as our Bible calls him, that uh, is the one that goes along and he prunes the branches. And then we have the abiding branches that are on, illustrate all true disciples. And so let's look first at the vine today. In verse 1 and in verse 5, he says, I am the true vine. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine. We see this, uh, this seventh of the I am statements of Jesus that John recognizes here in his gospel. He says, I am the vine. Remember these I am statements affirm Christ's deity. He is equating himself equal with God because in the Old Testament, when Moses met before uh, with the Lord at the burning bush, he asked him, what is your name? And he said, I am that I am. He says, I'm sufficient. I'm all that you'll ever need. I satisfy in your life. And so Jesus was saying here, I am. Before he had said, I am the true light. Now he said, I am the true vine. I am the one that you're looking for. Because as God in human flesh, Jesus rightly points to himself as the source of all spiritual life. He is the source of all growth and vitality in, in the Lord. And it's really, He is the only one that we can gather strength from in order for this, this life that God's called us to. You know what He's saying? I'm sufficient. I'm all that you'll need. So many times we look in different places to fill our life. And we look for uh, different, maybe people or, or goods or, uh, or this world's uh, ideas. But listen, those things leave us empty and eventually, we find out that they leave us even more dry than when we began. In the Old Testament, we see that God began to use uh, Abraham and his descendants. And he really began to desi desire to bless the world through Israel. And they would be that vine, if you will. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, uh, it oftentimes points to uh, Israel as the vine. The one that would uh, give that blessing and through which the, the blessings of God would flow through. In Psalms chapter 80... In verse number 8, it says, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt, thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. He refers here to Israel as that vine through which the blessings of God would flow. Later, the prophet Jeremiah said something similar as he said in Jeremiah 2.21, Yet I have planted thee a noble vine, holy, a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? He says, listen, I gave you everything you needed. I gave you uh, the sustenance, the blessings, and everything, and yet you've turned away from me. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He didn't always have a great message to, in order to convey but what he recognized and what we see here is that he said, listen, Israel, through you, through your life, the blessings of God have flown, but you've rejected it. In the Old Testament, we see that Israel proved fruitless. 
It was an unfaithful vine. And the Old Testament laments uh, Israel's pr- uh, failure to produce good fruit. And he warns God of God's impending judgment to all of Israel. Matter of fact, if you look at the end of that verse, he says, How then art thou turned into the degenerate plan of a strange vine unto me? He gives a warning here to them. Hosea, again, laments the same thing. Hosea 10.1, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of the fruit, he hath increased the altars, not the altar of God, the altar of false worship. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images or false images here. And we see Hosea. Isaiah also laments this same thing. They've forsaken the one who blessed them so richly. You know, God has richly blessed us through Jesus Christ. You can't receive any greater blessings than when you plug your life into the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and listen, by the world's standards, we may be poor. And we may not have everything the world has to offer. But by God's standards, we can know what it is to be wealthy and rich. You see, because there's more to life than all of the goodness of of this world. There's more to life than uh, having a brand new Corvette. Sorry, Brother Killingsworth, that was just for love today. You know, there's more to life than what this world offers. But what we realize is that God says, listen, you can know what it is to be satisfied in me. And you may not have the biggest home. You may not have the biggest bank account. Amen. You may not have any of those things, but you can know what it is to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You see, Israel missed that along the way. And if we're not careful, we'll miss miss it as well. You see, if we're not careful, we'll get our our eyes on all the the luxuries of the world and we'll get our eyes upon the things that maybe bring us a temporary pleasure. But, But remind you that sin may endure for a season, but it doesn't last. And he warns us here and he calls us and says, listen, wake up your eyes, see here. And, and in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. I'm the one that really the blessings of God will flow through if you'll plug into me. So abide in me. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7 is very well illustrated here. He says, now will I sing to my beloved, uh, my well-beloved, a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. He fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with a choice vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And this is the tragedy, and it brought forth wild grapes. You see, God had prepared all of these things and done everything he should for Israel. And instead of bringing forth the grapes uh, and the fruit that God had intended, it brought forth different kind of fruit. And he goes on and says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and and my vineyard, what could have uh, been done more to my vineyard? And if you look, he has done everything he could to prepare this vineyard for success and to make sure that this vineyard is able to fulfill God's plan. He says that uh, that I have not done in it, that wherefore when I looked, that it should bring forth uh, grapes, brought it forth wild grapes, and now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, and it shall, it shall not be pruned nor digged. But there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold oppression, for righteousness, but behold a cry. What a sad judgment that God proclaimed on Israel. If, I, if we remind ourselves in Matthew 21, we also see that Jesus also told a parable about a vineyard. 
And it was the illustration that Jesus told about Israel rejecting God's messengers. And, and you can read about that more, and I would encourage you to later in Matthew 21, verses 33 through 43. And he talks about as, as these, uh, the man had established a vineyard, and, and then he brought others into it to bring uh, forth the, the abundance of the, uh, the fruit thereof and bring it back to him that they rejected and even killed the son. It was a, it was a, a parable that told a story. Well, Israel's apostasy made it an empty vine. They had rejected the Lord and they were disqualified from bringing that channel of blessing that God wanted. And, and those blessings come from Jesus Christ now. I appreciate what one man he said. He wrote, John's point is that Jesus displaces Israel as the focus of God's plan of salvation with the implication that faith in Jesus comes, becomes the decisive characteristic for membership among God's people. Jesus said, I am the true vine. The word true in the Greek refers to what is real or distinct from, distinct from a type. It is a genuine rather than what is counterfeit. He says, Jesus said, listen, there's a lot of counterfeits out there, but I am the true vine. I'm the one that will satisfy your life. I'm the one that gives you strength, will help you through the valleys. I'm the one that will come along and use the trials of this life to prune you and to help prepare you for something that is greater. Satan knows that in our life, there are many things that seem to give life meaning, right? Uh, but there's only one true vine. There's only one true source of strength. There's only one true source of power, and His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have uh, there the vine. Next we see the vine dresser. I'm grateful for this, uh, as in the second part of verse number 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman, or, or vine dresser, if you will. And we find that Christ shows God... The Father is the vine dresser. This word vine dresser is one who tills the soil. So you would think of like a farmer or a vine grower. And you heard in Isaiah 5 how that he would dig about the plants and, and that would allow them to be able to fill that with nutrients in the soil. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we were able to plant a tree in, in memory of my mother. And as we did so, we uh, dug, uh, uh, dug the ground deep and wide and we filled it full of uh, good fertile soil and as we did so we put fertilizer on top and we wanted and, and man we gathered our hands around and my mom was the green thumb in the family the rest of us have brown and black thumbs uh, and so we gathered around and we said Lord thank you for mom and we just said Lord help this poor tree to live <laughs> we did everything we could and, and I, as we were there this week we saw the tree was still alive amen thank you Jesus even in the midst of a drought that tree was still going but listen this word, this, this vine dresser, he does that for a life. First, he removes the branches that don't bear the fruits. Second, he prunes the ones that do bear fruit, and so it enables them to be able to bear more fruit. You see, the distinction of responsibilities that Jesus mentions, I'm the vine, the father is the husband, men or vine dresser. He said, he said, he's not saying that one is greater than the other. It's not an issue of his deity, but we're reminded that during his, re his incarnation, that Everything that Christ did was to, uh, was to the will of the Father. He willingly assumed a subordinate role to the Father so he could fulfill God's plan for, for him. You see, Christ, he's point, not pointing to his relationship, but he's talking about his care, God's care for us in our life. He is the vine dresser. We're the branches. How, how desperately we need him to come along with his pruning care. How desperately we need him to come along and remove those dead branches. And just as a careful vine dresser cares for the vineyard, I remind you that our Heavenly Father cares for us. It matters to him. 
It matters to him whether we're plugged into the true vine or we're dead branches. And he comes along and he demonstrates that here. But I want to spend the remainder of our time dealing with the branches. Because there's two types of branches that Jesus mentions here. The one is those that abide, those that abide in the vine, and those that don't abide or non-abiding branches. And we're going to see both of these because we see that both of them probably profess outwardly to be in Christ, but the difference is the fruit that comes as a result. And so there's distinguishing marks of the true branches. First off, we see that Jesus deals with every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, we see that first mark, it's a, a branch that bears fruit. He purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. We see that also it abides in Christ's love toward the end of the, the section here that we've, been, we've read earlier. We also see that they're in obedience to the commandments given them. We see that in verse number 10. And so Christ deals with this and he says, listen, a genuine abiding branch is one that bears fruit, one that uh, abides in Christ's love, and one that is obedient. And listen, it a, has a flows from a heart that desires to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus was speaking to the, to the Jews who just put their faith in Jesus Christ. He said in John 8, 31, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. You see, what he was saying was obedience proves a person's love for Christ. Obedience de determines what, are, are we truly genuine disciples. And this is a point that John makes clear in his first, uh, his first epistle. In 1 John, if you look uh, through 1 John, you'll find first off, he says, believers are willing to confess their sins, 1 John 1, 9. We also learn that believers obey God's commandments in 1 John 2, 3. They're willing to obey the Lord. And we also see in 1 John 2.10, believers demonstrate a love for others. This is, again, a few weeks ago, uh, we, we mentioned this out of John chapter 13. But in 1 John 3.6, he says, believers also live in patterns of righteousness. Their life demonstrates holiness. Their life shows forth to the world that they are followers of Jesus. Well, this doesn't mean that a life is perfect. There's no one in here is perfect, not even the preacher. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to obey perfectly. But when there are times where we're maybe lapping into disobedience and, and fail to abide fully in Christ, what we see, though, is that Paul admonishes the Christians. For example, in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. What was he saying? Listen, you have not abide, uh, you haven't continually abided in Christ and so instead of being mature, you're a babe. And he says in verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto uh, you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there, there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? He, he was admonishing this church and said, listen, in your life you've allowed things to come up and these things have arisen and they've drawn you away from abiding in Christ. And now God is calling you and saying, listen, instead of being uh, mature believers, you've allowed the carnality of this world to influence your life and you've fled from what is right. And so Christ, uh, Paul admonished those Christians, plug in to the Lord, can repent and come back to Christ. But we also see that Jesus rebukes a church, the church in Ephesus, in the book of Revelation, because they had diminished their devotion to him. Instead of growing more fervent, they became more cold and more callous. Revelation 2, 4 says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You see, one of the things I love about coming to church is that it helps me re remind me what I love the most. 
You know, and, and, and I love my church family, but, but really, Jesus is the one I love the most. And you know, when I think about, I, as I get to enter into this, this place, and I get to shake hands, and we get to pray with one another, and we get to uh, love on one another, sharpening one another in Christ, what I'm reminded of is that, that, uh, that through this, God helps us to be able to keep our eyes on what's really important. John after making these statements as absolute statements that believers uh, should not sin, adds this as well in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. He says, listen, don't sin. That's not what God's called you to. Even Paul said this in Romans chapter 6. But then he says this, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Isn't that good, church? Isn't it good to know that, man, I'm not perfect, but when I mess up, that there's an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we love him him today. You see, being perfect is not the qualifier for abiding in Christ. But choosing to abide is. Choosing to come back to Him. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. I'm thankful that he, we have given this privilege and this opportunity to be able to, uh, to know the grace and the mercy of our Lord. And so this Lord's exhortation to abide in Him is appropriate uh, for us to be reminded that God calls us. Maybe you've been estranged for a while. Maybe the, the, uh, the allurements of the world have allowed some suckers to pull some things out of your life. And God calls you back to Him. But he, because He wants you to be spiritually productive, we also learn in our text that he prunes us. Now look in verse number 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, the Father prunes the branch. I'm thankful for this process, but I'll tell you, I don't enjoy it. Let me kind of describe it a little bit. I think we have an illustration there we can show you. Uh, One person wrote about this, and he said, Pruning was an essential part of first century viticultural practice as it is today. The first pruning occurred in the spring when the vines were in, in flowering stage, and this involved four operations. The removal of the growing tips of rigorous shoots so that they would not grow too rapidly. Then cutting off one or two feet from the end of growing shoots to prevent entire shoots being snapped off by the wind. And then there was the removal of some flower or grape clusters so that those left could produce more and better quality fruit. And finally, the removal of suckers that arose from below the ground or from the trunk and the main branches so that the strength of the vine was not tapped by the suckers. You see, the Father has a desire to prune our lives and to trim things out of our lives and by removing anything that would sap the strength and the spiritual energy in our life. And so this is what He does. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 7 through 11, He describes this process to us as as a good Father, as one that cares for us. He says, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son in whom he, uh, the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they fairly for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, and listen to this, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness 
unto them which are exercised thereby. You see, what God does is He comes along in that pruning process and He takes us through uh, trials and sufferings. And in that suffering, in that trial, He's coming and allowing our lives to be susceptible to His pruning. You see, in the Father's infinite wisdom, He causes all things to work together for our good. Remember Romans 8, 28. For uh, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Listen, there's probably not one of us in here that enjoys suffering. If I were to take a hand and say, how many of you enjoy getting a root canal? I don't think anyone would, oh, would willingly raise their hand unless, uh, unless maybe you're weird. <laughs> Thank you, son. Listen, we don't like to walk through the hardships and the hard trials because of the enormity of the agony that is associated with them. Job, by example, is a man in his prime who worshipped daily the Lord, and yet he suffered greatly. And he suffered his, uh, a loss of his family, a loss of his finances, even a loss of his health. And through, some of the most, and, and through most of the narrative of Job, we don't find him sitting on top of a mountain, but sitting in an ash heap where they would dump the ashes on a daily basis as they were cooking and preparing their meals. And Job was sitting there with a potsherd scraping the boils off of his skin. Not a man who was necessarily looked up to. He, before this point, he was a man who was greatly looked up to but now looked down upon. And then as he was sitting there, uh, those who claimed to be his friends came around him and they berated him for his own ungodly lifestyle that they presumed that he had. You see, in his suffering though, his suffering was great, but he learned lessons about God that he never could have learned otherwise. See, God was bringing him through some pruning. God was bringing him through some times where he needed to, to, to trim some things from his life and help him to understand who God, who God really is. You suffering is the handle of the Father's knife. And God oftentimes brings suffering in our life, but he uses the Word of God to make the, the precision cuts that we need. Remember Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, God's Word is what God uses in our life to be able to discern right and wrong and help us to be able to, to uh, follow Him more wholly. Think about affliction. We've all been through some types of affliction. If you're more than 30, you probably have gone through some different times that have been great agony in your life. And the psalmist said this in Psalms 119 and verse 7. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. He said, But now have I kept thy word. In Psalms 119, verse 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. It was during those times of affliction that we hear the Word of God, we can heed the Word of God, and it's important that we come to the Word of God. I tell you, the Word has been a, a balm for a hurting heart personally, and as I go to the Word, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness, and I'm reminded that God never forsakes us, and He is always a friend, and He's a constant companion. And I just encourage you, no matter what you're going through, whatever kind of affliction or suffering, that you can abide in Him by coming to the Word of God. He is faithful. This is what I've learned. We find that there is a God first and foremost. His word is always true. He is always faithful and His actions are always just. He's with us in the fire and will carry us out of the belly of affliction. And there is a crown awaiting those that endure. So Christian, if you're in a trial of affliction, plug into the word of God. 
But let me just mention this. Abiding in Christ is a guarantee that you will produce fruit. Now, for example, there's no such thing as fruitless Christians, and so uh, I remind you that we cannot bear fruit on our own. True branches, though, are going uh, to have, uh, who have God's life-giving power flowing through them, are going to produce fruit. So what is fruit? That's the question here. One popular misconception is fruit uh, is outward success. For example, a pastor is fruitful if he has a large church, if there's a popular ministry, he's got a successful program, then, quote-unquote, we are being fruitful. But that's not what God means. When God, we look at the Bible, God doesn't equate fruit with the external superficial behavior of the flesh. What he sees is, and a matter of fact, he warns us that these types of uh, outward circumstances can be repeated and duplicated by deceivers and hypocrites. So the scripture defines fruit as something different. Uh, One of the ways that he defines this as the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 22 through 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. He says, against such there is no law. And so there's this fruit of uh, of the Spirit that flows from a life that is plugged into Jesus Christ. And those Christ-like traits through whom His life uh, flows, we see that that it is uh, is important that we stay plugged in to Christ so that fruit can flow. I I appreciate Brother Justin a few years ago taught on the fruit of the Spirit. And he said this, it's our duty to be fruity. That has always stuck with me. It's our duty to be fruity. And as a believer, listen, the only way I can truly have the fruit is to abide in Christ. It's a fruit of the Spirit that produces other evidences. For example, Hebrews 13, 15, we see that praise is a fruit. But by Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Do you praise Him? Not just for the good things, but for in the bad times? Do you praise Him when things are difficult as well as when things are easy? Listen, God calls us to praise Him. That's part of His Spirit, a part of abiding in Christ. We also see that sacrificial love that is demonstrated in a life is also fruit. Romans chapter 15 and verse 28, we see that Paul was encouraging these believers and he was taking a collection for those needy believers at Jerusalem and he says this, When therefore I have performed this and I have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. He said, listen, one of the fruits that we, we have is just that sacrificial love. Man, sometimes it's not easy to love people who hurt us. But God says that, that the reality is, is that when we are abiding in Christ, part of that fruit that is produced is a desire to love one another. I was walking through the halls this morning and, and greeting folks, and I was reminded, you know, uh, just a few years ago, many of us weren't together in this one congregation. There's families from different places, different walks of life, and have moved to this area and joined our congregation. And, and over, over the, uh, the time, we've seen some uh, that have been saved and joined our congregation as well. And, and I was looking around, and I saw smiles. I saw people interacting. I thought, man, that is only by Christ dwelling in us that we see that happening here. There's so many differences around this room. But yet through Christ, there's a unity of the Spirit, a sacrificial love. We see also fruit is the holy and righteous God-honoring behavior that flows from a life. For example, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 10, he says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
You see, that, uh, that uh, lifestyle that God desires for us to live. Matter of fact, he says in Ephesians 2.10, that, that is the life that he designed for us to live. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto God, good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. But one of the greatest benefits and blessings and fruit is that when we lead someone to Christ, man, what a joy it is. Man, to be able to take the Bible and, and say, let me share with you how that you can know that you're on your way to heaven. What a joy it is to be able to share with someone how that they can put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is one of the greatest uh, opportunities God gives us. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 13, Paul told uh, and expressed his desire that Christians in Rome would also uh, win converts in that city. He says, Now I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I promised to come, I purposed to come unto you, but was let hither, hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. He said, Listen, it's a great blessing to be able to produce fruits in your life. Fruits where people are saved. What a joy that is. First Corinthians, same thing. Paul, again, talks about the house of Stephanus, who was the first fruits here. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. You see, Paul recognized that part of the fruit of our life is winning others to Jesus. But listen, there's great blessings in abiding in Christ. What flows from this? Well, let's go through a couple of things if we can together. Obviously, the fruit that comes from abiding in Christ is, uh, is being able to lead others to the Lord, being able to have the fruit of the Spirit, these things, love, joy, peace. How much would this world give and does it give to know love, joy, and peace? But listen, you can have it by abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is, we see then that God desires for us to know what it is to abide in Christ. In our text, in verse number 7, if, we, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, sometimes we take some verses out of context, and we say, all right, I'm going to take this, I'm going to ask what I will, and it's going to be done unto me, and boom, shakalaka, like a, a rub a, a, a genie's lamp, and it's going to be done. Well, that's not what Christ intended. It's not like Burger King, you can't have it your way. Amen? But what we see is instead that our, when our prayers, when we're abiding in Christ, our life is, is abiding in Him and His will is our will, His desire, our, our desire. And so our prayers then are consistent with His person and with His will. So when He answers it, He is able to get all the glory. And listen, when we, when we pray for things, sometimes God's answer is no. Sometimes God's answer is absolutely. Sometimes God says, wait. And in our prayer time, let us just continually choose to abide in Him. Listen, we're blessed to live lives that glorify God. In verse 8, he says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall, we be, uh, shall ye be my disciples. As we live and abide in Christ, we get to glorify the name of the Lord. Colossians 1.29 says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. He says, listen, I want my life to be able to bring glory to the Lord. Righteousness, we also see, is important. This life of obedience. Let me just, we're almost done here this morning, so just hang with me a little longer here. In verse number 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as, as I've kept my Father's commandments. Notice that he emphasizes this as well in verse number 10, because righteousness is key to experiencing God's blessing. This desire to be obedient, because one of the greatest blessings that we can ever have is found in verse number 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. 
I would say most people in this life are looking for joy. They look for it in, in the pleasures of this world, and then they come back and they're saying, man, I just feel, feel so empty. I, I shovel in the joys and the pleasures of this world, and it's like there's a, bottle, a, a hole in the bottom of the bucket, and it just runs out as quick as it fills up. But listen, with God's bucket and with God's joy, it never runs out. He continually feels. In John 17 and verse 13, he says, And now I come to thee, that, and these things I speak in the world, that, you, that they might have joy, my joy fulfilled in themselves. When David had sinned with Bathsheba and he'd run from the Lord, he lost his joy. Sin destroyed that joy in his life. In Psalms 51 and verse 12, he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He says, Listen, I've lost it because I have quit abiding in the Lord. And yet those abiding in Christ experience a joy that's unspeakable. And God wants you to know that joy today. Well, there's one other group of branches I want to mention today. And that is the non-abiding branches. Now he says in verse number 2 and in verse number 6, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And oftentimes the vine dresser would come through and, and he would clip those branches and they would make a pile at the end of the row or there in the, in, the, in the middle of the row and they would take all those and they would gather those and they would put them in a great big heap. And verse number 6 says, And if any man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. This type of branch that the vine dresser deals with are those that don't bear fruit. They're cut off. They're dry. They're lifeless. They're withered branches. And the Father takes these branches away from their superficial attachments, and they are cast out. This is not, he's not dealing with believers. We can't lose our salvation. He's dealing with those who have never put their faith in Christ. Matter of fact, in John 6, 37, he says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That's a promise. He says, listen, you're not going to lose your salvation. That's not what he's dealing with. There are other ways that these are, are described in the, in, in the Bible as well. Remember in the Bible, Matthew 13, it says there's tares among the wheat. They look the same, but and there's going to be a day when, they're, uh, when they will be separated. They're fake. There's the goats among the sheep. In Matthew 25, there's those foolish virgins, virgins who were shut out of the wedding feast. You see, there are apostates who leave the fellowship of believers. And, and 1 John 2, he deals with that. And these continue to sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, and they fall away because they've never truly received it. One example was Judas Iscariot. Outwardly, he looked like all the other 11 disciples. And they looked at Judas and said, Man, this guy looks like everyone else. But, but inwardly, he never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And as a result, uh, today, I believe that he is in hell. I tell you, he was one of those that was one of those branches that he was pruned off and he was cast aside and, and now he's suffering the result of that decision. And the fate of all such branches, Matthew 13 says, And so shall it be at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire and there shall be welling and gnashing of teeth. You see, that's the reality that Jesus is dealing with. What kind of branch are you? There was a textile mill uh, that... Uh, was producing and a young woman had just gone to this job and she was brand new and she saw on the side of the wall and, uh, a sign that said, when your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of independent and that can be my downfall sometimes. 
And so just a little bit longer, uh, as she's working there, her thread became tangled, and she thought, well, I'll just straighten this out. Not a big deal. I can do this by myself. And, and as she did, she made the tangle worse and worse. And finally, she called the foreman, and she said, well, I did the best I could. I, I tried to, to tangle it. And he says, no, you didn't. To do the best you could would have been to call me. You see, sometimes we're like that lady. We're trying to untangle the, the problems of our life, and, and we're trying to do it all ourselves. But the reality is we can't untangle the problems of this world. We can't untangle all the issues of this life. And, the, and Jesus Christ comes along and says, Listen, the best you can do is put your faith in me. That's why I came. You see, because if I could earn my way to heaven, then Christ died in vain. But instead what we see is Jesus Christ came to give you an everlasting and eternal joy and blessing. But that comes when you first put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, and you choose, Christian, to abide in Him. It begins at Calvary, and it flows from a life that is plugged into Jesus.